Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. Let's talk about COVID-19 and bioethics, the ethical considerations of lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and so much more. It seems like whenever the issue is raised, it's hastily brushed aside. Well, not today. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the topic with our guest, Professor Kerry Bowman, who teaches bioethics and global health at University of Toronto. Hey, Kerry, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Anthony. Yeah, g great to have you on. And it's it's must have been a really interesting past, I guess, almost two years for someone in your line of work focusing on issues of bioethics. It really has been, you know, and, and, and throughout my career, and I'm well into my career in bioethics, um, you know, I, I've never seen uh, so much ethical um, material, so to speak, as, as, as I've seen with this pandemic. It, it's quite amazing uh, to see. Mind you, I'm going to say this. I would also say that th there's been a fair amount of silence from, from many people within the bioethics community. Mm. Um, I would have thought people would be even more vocal than they have been. But I, I just see a profusion of ethical questions as I look around me throughout this pandemic. Well, just to sort of start us off with, with some underlying principles, bioethics. I mean, I think people have a good working sense of what the definition ethics means. What, what does bioethics mean? What is a bioethical consideration? Yeah, no, and that's a totally fair question. And, you know, and there's many people that don't fully grasp it through no fault of their own. Um, so, you know, bio, of course, from biological. And so bioethics is really the application of ethics primarily but not exclusively uh, within the medical slash healthcare setting and increasingly with with medical technologies that interface with those things like you know like medicine and health and well-being so it's the direct application of those things right so you know within my life i i have worked and continue to work within uh many teaching hospitals so i'm not yes i'm a university professor and and have been for a while but a lot of my working life actually has been bedside, uh, working within intensive care units, issues of end-of-life decision-making, um, issues of, of policies related to all kinds of things, increasingly emerging technology, consent and capacity, brain death. So, so really think of it as the application of this. And then who are we? you know, to do these 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 unbelievable and strange jobs, right? Who are we? Some of us are philosophers. A lot of us aren't. Um, you know, my I actually have a PhD in bioethics um, from the University of Toronto, from the Faculty of Medicine, quite interdisciplinary. And then before that, I personally was a was a medical social worker. Other people mm. might be psychologists that become bioethicists, lawyers that become bioethicists, occasionally physicians. So this is this is why a lot of the public and you know struggle with grasping this profession i don't really blame them if they struggle with grasping it because in a lot of ways it's much more diffuse than other professions and i guess a really multifaceted issue i mean in the way you're saying it lawyers or uh, yes. you know, people who are in your case the the social workers i mean you can come at it from so many different angles yeah, that's exactly right. And that, of course, obviously informs enormously how a bioethics is, ethicist is going to see their job, the world, uh, the cases before them. So there's a lot of range there. Uh, we did an episode a few episodes back with uh, Anne Kavukian, who's previously Ontario's mm -hmm. privacy commissioner, very big in the in the world of privacy. And, and very early on in our conversation, we kind of established that, yes, there are the big ticket questions of COVID and privacy, but but really like everything that's been happening uh, the past almost two years does have a privacy consideration to it. And and when I was thinking about having our discussion today, I thought, 
Well, yes, there's the big ticket questions of is it right to to penalize or even one poll, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, incarcerate people who are not being vaccinated. I mean, that's kind of the obvious questions. But kind of going back and, and peeling back the onion, there's ethical considerations to to almost everything we've done. Is it fair to say that? No, I think it is fair to say that. And, and you know, ethics is proportional. So that, that's been the great challenge with with this, you know, with, with this pandemic is we're going to have you know, lockdowns, let's say, well, let, let's look at the proportion. What's the harm? What's the benefit? And, you know, we tend to look at this from a viral point of view. Of course, lockdowns are a brilliant idea when it comes to containing a virus. But boy, the social determinants of health, you know, are are very complex. And how much lockdowns kill too, right? So so that's very, very tough. And Anne, Anne is exactly right. I mean, the privacy issues have just been enormous and i actually think a lot of them have been i i didn't hear that interview but i i know Anne, and i i think a lot of them have been actually ignored uh, to a large extent and um you know there, there's so much going on with the pandemic but generally we're a society uh, as north american society is meaning just canada and the u.s that enormously values the concept of autonomy you know the the free choice of the individual and it's never been without limits of course there's always been you know limits uh to that but when you look at the entire world and you look at which societies really really hone down on the concept of autonomy it's first the united states and really secondly canada even western europe the concept of autonomy within healthcare plays out very differently physicians tend to have much much more determination in what they see as futile and, and you know what they see as best interest whereas within Canadian society autonomy has been very powerful and here's the thing what's been really difficult with this pandemic is you know have we got the right model because so much of what we've been facing is what is our responsibility to other people mm. and with this pandemic you know this is you know, the moral equation is really much more about interdependence than independence with this. And so then the question becomes, you know, have have we got, you know, the right stuff to be dealing with this? Do we have to really change our ethical foundation to approach this? So very, very challenging questions are emerging. Well, I remember from my U of T ethics class in, in philosophy, not, not, not the bioethics classes you teach, the notion of uh, using people as a means to an end as opposed to uh, an end in and of themselves. And it's interesting when you talk about autonomy and how so much of what we've done has been, you know, the number of times you've been told, yeah, I know you're, you know, you're in your late thirties, you got two vaccines. I mean, this isn't about you. Everything's fine, but you've got to do this. You got to do that. Your child has to lose their schooling X, Y, Z, uh, because this thing may happen to someone else in the abstract. I mean, that seems to me, uh, like I said, I was just taking a first year, second year class. We were talking about those sort of dynamics. That seems almost a, a hallmark of an ethical consideration. Yeah, it, it very much is. And, you know, what, what's challenging with you need to do this for other people is, you know, how strong is the scientific foundation that we're building upon? And, mm. it, it, you know, it's there. But, you know, science has been emerging throughout this pandemic. And, you know, if you look at, at something like that, so if you look at the vaccination of children as one example, which we're now, you know, in the midst of within this country. So we do know that children, and I'm just building on what you've said, you know, that the, the children do not get nearly as ill with, with COVID. as They can, but they rarely get as ill with COVID as other people would get. Yet we have this massive national vaccination campaign and, you know, one of the stronger justifications for vaccinating children is for kind of the population of health of everyone else. 
right? So, you know, the question then becomes from an ethical point of view, are we using our own children as a means to an end? And, you know, within society, usually we make massive sacrifices to protect the children as opposed to, and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad decision, but the, you know, the ethical decision of vaccinating children is actually quite different than, than vaccinating adults. And I personally think the choice for that absolutely and i speak of young children not teenagers when i make these comments by the way but um you know the choice for that really really needs to stay with the parents and we really need to respect uh you know give them every element of information possible but but really the parents are the ones that need to make that choice without a lot of guilt and pressure from other people. You know, it's funny you should say that because it brings to mind a comment that one of the members of the United Kingdom's JCVI, their their committee on vaccination, I guess their version of, of Canada's uh, NACI, uh, said, and the UK is not rolling out vaccines for, for children under yes. 12. I think they make it available uh, to children with medical conditions. And, and I guess if there's a real compelling reason to do it, they provide it, but they're not doing a mass vaccine campaign. And, and one of the doctors on that committee, the name escapes me, but he said something along the lines of, well, well this is not a thing we typically do with kids. We vaccinate them uh, for their own safety, but we don't vaccinate them solely or, or predominantly because of other people's safety. And I think he used something like a, a phrase, you know, that's not ethical in there. So w- what is it? Because UK is doing one thing, Canada's doing the opposite. Yeah, well, and cultural differences in how this plays out. And, you mm. know, one of the greatest concerns is both countries may very well say, as Canada certainly has said, and I suspect the UK has said, we're following the science. Well, you see, this erodes the, con- the, 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 you know, the, the trust in science when you've got these really quite sophisticated nations with a lot of very intelligent and accomplished people that land in very different places with similar facts in front of them. So what it says to me is that the vaccination of children, we can call that a medical question and a medical certainty, but but it's not really. It's, it's profoundly an ethical question. I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it unethical because it, so many of the facts aren't available. I think what would be unethical is, is to push people in a direction they don't want to go in on that one. Um, so it takes us in very different directions because some people would say we are using children as a means to an end. So, so that's what makes it tough. But yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's been a tough haul in Canada. And, you know, we, we've kind of dealt with this in what I think is sometimes a superficial way, interviewing doctors that say, well, I, you know, I'm vaccinating my kids. I took them this morning. That, hmm. Well, that's fine. That's good. You know, and they have a right to say that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's ultimately the right thing to do. Those are their children. What about your own children? So when we talk about ethical considerations, we can talk about abstract things about, you know, is it right to incarcerate the unvaccinated, which, as I said before, we'll get to that in a couple minutes because it's uh, quite an excitable uh, conversation there. Those are kind of abstract ones where we can insert ourselves into the conversation, sort of sort of public ethical talks. Uh, But there are, I guess, also and, and you referenced uh, in your work, of course, you know, end of life care, those issues that arise, there are ethical considerations that the individual physician must make. And to what degree have doctors been confronting or avoiding their own ethical considerations that they are uh, presumably tasked by their, just by sheer being in their profession to consider in these decisions they make? Because to your point, I, I think we've seen some people who have been rather flippant in their statements. Yeah, no, I know. And and, and they have been. And, you know, I, I think... 
it's very tough because the, the there's obviously a highly elevated moral responsibility to being a physician and to many not all but but many professions absolutely and the influence of these positions is is enormous so when doctors speak publicly they're they're really influencing a lot of people so if they take a and it's rare but we was in the news yesterday you know if they take a strong anti-vax position that's not just their personal opinion they're really really influencing a lot of people but many people in the field have had to consider what they say and what the influence on others will be as they say it so you know i think people have to be very careful i i've tried very hard not to be really prescriptive with this is ethical this is unethical i mean because a lot of these things are a matter of, of perspective i i actually think as an ethicist i can be more useful uh, by which I have attempted to do. Uh, we'll see how successful that is. I don't know. But what I've attempted to do in the pandemic is at least point out why so many of these things are of ethical importance and where the ethical tension lies. And I think when, when you look to bioethics, that's where bioethics can make a contribution. Not just this is how to think, but this is why this matters ethically. Um, you know, I, I'm going back yet again to the example of the children. I actually think, you know, passing that off as a as a no-brainer medical decision i thought was really wrong I, I think it's much more of an ethical one and um i don't think that got a lot of coverage well if i can leave it open-ended to you in this next question sort of give you the floor to say what, what do you think are the are the prevailing the predominant ethical considerations right now because i know there's tons of them out there but what what are the ones that i, I think should be discussed more or or have been uh the main concerns yeah, I mean, the role of the state has become, you know, very, very powerful in, in recent, uh, I, I can't say months anymore, because the pandemic, what can I say, years is the right term, right? It, it, the role of the state has become much, much more powerful. And I think it's sort of slipped up on us. And I don't think we realize just how powerful it is in terms of determination, what people need to do and what 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 people kind of have to do. And I think people have picked up on the fact that that, yes, you know, we're all, you know, that, that we have obligations to each other. But, you know, whether the, the state is overstepping their authority or not, um, many people feel that they're beginning to, um, you know, uh, there's a there's a lot freedom of information. You know, we, we heard that the uh, Public Health Agency of Canada is using our cell phone data uh, for pandemic movement tracking. So on the surface of it, and you know, it's it's anonymized and all those things as we're told. And you know, on the surface of it, that sounds to many people maybe, well, so what? That's no big deal, it's anonymized. First of all, I don't know enough about technology. There's been a lot of things that have been claimed to be anonymous that turn out actually not to be. So I don't know if that's a reality, but it certainly could be. But here's the thing, they didn't tell us? Like, are you kidding? You know, so the question is one of transparency. Like, why did they not tell us earlier on in this pandemic that, or whenever it started, that we're going to be using this data and here's why, and at least have a public conversation about it. And I, so it's not just that they're using it, but the fact that they would, and you know, I felt the responses in the interviews I saw were like, so what, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, 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 this is no big deal because it's anonymized, but you know, and again, I don't really know enough about that. And it's not just that it's anonymous, that data is yours and mine. I mean, that, that's, it's still not right to be using that with, without telling people. So the role of the state, I, I think, has, has very, very much expanded, including the lockdowns. And what I really worry about with the lockdowns is including, you know, I'm in Ontario and, and we're 
potentially about to lift and we will see. But the proportionality element. So from a point of view of, of pandemic and virus, you know, we might as well stay the lockdown till May just to see how things are going. But, <laughs> you know, the reality is and, and that's that would be wonderful from a viral control. But what doesn't get enough coverage is the fact that lockdowns kill. And I know I'm using a strong word, but they literally do. They gut people's lives. You know, there's an elevated suicide rate. God knows what they do to the socialization of young children that haven't been in school for long periods of time. The, the true effect on each of our lives, and even whether we struggle or don't struggle, I mean all of our lives, is almost immeasurable. And what I worry about is, is the proportionality. You know, the, the epidemiologists, which I respect and I think are doing their jobs to the best of their ability, but boy, they have a whole lot more say than the rest of the country does in how these decisions are made. And I worry, and our politicians, they do care about, you know, and they know there's mental health issues and they know these things. But, you know, who speaks for that socially isolated person hanging on for a thread? tucked away in a little apartment as we enter year three those voices are really not heard and so i wonder if we really do have a true balance um with this and and that's what i wonder about and i think you know it, it's tough and then the justification sometimes is is much like when a country goes to war well ethics is great but you know i mean we're not at war but when countries are at war they would say yeah but we're at war or or something like we've we've got a real emergency what i would say to that though in a state of emergency when is it more important to hang on to your ethic your core ethical values than in a crisis that's really what's important so there are people out there that say ethics you know we've kind of heard enough about that we're in a crisis we'll deal with that later the goal is to simply get through this in any way we can i also have a deep worry that we could be really, really changing the kind of moral fabric of our society, because especially as this pandemic drifts into the years, um, that we may, may never really get back to, you know, free and informed consent truly of the individual, and that the role of the state may be greatly elevated because it's been sort of a slow burn. And, and you know, it creeped up upon us. We'll be back with more full comment after these short messages. Professor Bowman, let's pick up on what you're saying there, moral fabric of our society, because there's definitely been so much change, I guess, just to the way we live our lives, the way we think about our lives and our interactions with government, with our neighbors. Uh, we're being told you know, where to stand in the grocery store. Uh, a lot of you know, neighbors have, have called the police on other neighbors at times when yeah. they were believed to have had you know, more than two people over for dinner, whatever the rule was on that given month. Thankfully, that's behind us for the most part, but that stuff really happened. And I I feel like that does kind of rewire the way you think about yourself in relation to your community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it really, really does. And, you know, because we've been in a, in a very, very difficult situation, I, I think we've given our leadership an awful lot of leeway in terms of making decisions in a crisis. And, you know, I, I think we might be coming towards the end of that. But but what I really do worry about is is you know if we if this ends and it's probably going to end slowly and I mean who knows I I I I don't know and neither does anyone else exactly what our end point is going to be, but that we will be a society that you know really didn't notice the slow creep of invasions to our privacy, and and how much you know how much our governments can kind of take over. You look at Quebec 
you know, proposing a taxation on the unvaccinated. Now, my guess is it's it was a ruse because we've heard nothing more about it. But um, but you know, the, these are powerful, powerful forces, and it, and and I do worry that it will change the very way we see things. Also, you know, the the kind of war on the unvaccinated has been really, really poisonous. Um, you know, you could just about go after the unvaccinated with a lynch mob, and you'd have support for that like it and you know the us and them element of it earlier in the pandemic we're all in this together you know people singing opera from the balconies i mean i think if anyone sang opera from the balconies now they'd have you know rotten fruit thrown at them or something people are not in the mood anymore but but you know we've come a long long way from that and and that's really really shifted and you know the role of the state now i i think they've they've really encouraged an us and them kind of thing it became very politicized and human nature being what it is us and them are you kidding i mean we're we're primates look at how we're wired you do not want to feed that beast and i think they were really wrong to turn on the unvaccinated um i support vaccination fully i do think there's a moral obligation to be vaccinated but that's that's me. I, I can't speak for the rest of the country and how people see these things. And, and you know, I, I also think the unvaccinated did not cause. Well, I know the unvaccinated did not cause this pandemic. And, right. and I worry, Anthony, that, that there's a big distraction here with these vaccine wars. And that distraction right. is the greatest threat to all of us as Canadians is without question the global pandemic which we are doing next to nothing about mm -hmm. and you know the in and i think in the years ahead when the books are written on this and the deep dive is done this is what will be highlighted how we really ignored the big picture um we have a nationalistic government or, well i shouldn't say nationalistic but they are when it comes to the pandemic yes we've got covax and on paper canada is a marvel but we're not actually doing it when you look at the numbers and you know what I also blame, I, I know this is a harsh thing to say, but I blame a lot of people that are actively doing pandemic commentary because whenever it rarely comes up. And when it does, they say, no, it's not either or we'll do both. But we're not doing both. We do very little with COVAX. And, and it's not just COVAX. It's also the infrastructure that goes with COVAX, et cetera. So I, I do global work myself. And, you know, I, I've been in Yemen twice in the last few months and they had a vaccination rate of 0.5 and i didn't say five i said 0.5 percent right. wow. uh you know people, and that's first dose you're not talking about yeah, the, the no, booster first dose no i'm talking first dose you had healthcare workers that had not you know had any protection i saw people that were essentially suffocating from from being unable to breathe and it was almost certainly secondary to covid um and and you know we've done nothing on that front and you don't need me to tell you or anybody listening we know how this works you know, this be also becomes just a factory for creating new variants that can come back at us. And so when we endlessly agonize over the unvaccinated, you know, and we're close to 90%. If someone had told us a year ago right. that we'd reached that, people would have fallen off their chairs, really. So I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on it. I think we should. But we also don't know within that 10% who these people really are. The right. assumption is they're rabbit hotheads. Not all of them are. We don't really understand it. No, absolutely. I, you know, it's interesting talking about being in Yemen just the past few months, and, and I contrast that with there's been a lot of criticism of, of what's called the laptop class now. I, I definitely know of people who, uh, to this day, they are probably triple vaccinated, 
Uh, they are investing in increasingly elaborate masks, and they have concerns that it is not safe for them uh, to be at the grocery store, to be at a restaurant. Here you are telling an anecdote about how you've been uh, traveling back and forth to a country that pretty much has no vaccinations available. Mm-hmm. Presumably you went by plane, you weren't you know, on a raft six feet apart from any other person. So it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting, uh, these different personal choices that people are making, and to what degree... Uh, For a certain period of time, we were supposed to uh, celebrate the staying-at-home culture as as the right choice, noble or what have you. But to what degree is is that focus, that that hyper-focus on the triple-vaccinated mass person's own safety getting in the way of a more broader ethical consideration of getting our communities going, or to your point, helping out the world? Yeah, no, I, I think, and you know, in my opinion, I, I, this is my opinion, so a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I actually think Canada is probably one of the most risk avoidant societies in the entire world. And I've spent a lot of time outside of Canada. Um, you the know, stats bear that are, true. Longest lockdowns really almost in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you, you see children with helmets on and triple life jackets and you know they're in a kayak that's in 18 inches of water you know like you know you got to protect children i get it but we we go to extremes in this country and i think we lose sight of the bigger picture and you know and and and, yeah and you know you know my own trip to yemen i mean one could argue i'm you know i'm i'm creating risk all around but you know i'm i'm double and triple i'm triple vaxxed and then you know multiple testing before going before entering retesting before entering you know i i certainly and i was i was there for work reasons but um it i i struggle because i'm doing global work with with you know do i sit in my you know my living room and kitchen uh or do i get out and do this work i i have been going out in between the the official uh, don't travel kinds of things, but right. uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And but again, I draw your attention to the global picture, and I am shocked. And you know what I think is, and boy, this is going to sound nasty. I don't mean this to sound as nasty as it sounds, but a lot of our leadership, you know, Public Health Agency of Canada, etc. I mean, these are much more managers than visionaries. And in fairness to them. And I know that sounds awful, but um, in fairness to them, they weren't hired and it's not their mandate to be dealing with the planet Earth. It's their mandate to be dealing with the nation or to be dealing with the province or territory or municipal. So in fairness to them, they're doing their jobs to the best of their ability. My point is no one, including our our government and prime minister, really has their eye on the big picture. And what nation, what nation is showing global leadership? It's not the United States. I I mean, pandemic global leadership. I don't see it. I don't see it. No, it's an interesting point. And we have heard, though, from the WHO, from the United Nations, uh, particularly from UNICEF, really concerned about uh, things that are happening. I mean, I, I'm really concerned about the way children are, are being treated in Canada. I think it's over the top and, and, and some of it is, is pretty much abusive. But at the same time, I saw a UNICEF report that kind of said, well, if you think that's bad, the sort of, you know, forcing the three-year-olds in masks and whatnot, wait till you get a load of, you know, the rise in child marriage that is going on because of the pandemic, like crazy things that thankfully we don't really have happening here have been ballooning in other countries around the world. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a huge one. And we have the WHO and, you know, they, they're they're good people doing a good job. But boy, we have underfinanced the WHO for so, so long. 
and and you know the mandate they have is is you know it's political i don't know what the answer is so you know they don't allow taiwan in i mean right. are you kidding with so it, it the, their hands are kind of tied and then you know they were so aggressively attacked early in the pandemic with their relationship to china that i think they lost so much credibility i'm not sure all of that was fair by the way that we just don't have global leadership on this and we have a global crisis I, I want to go back to talking about the vilification of the unvaccinated a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because based on polling numbers, it seems that a lot of people wouldn't agree with you. Perhaps a majority of people. I want to read to you uh, some polling stats from Maru Public Opinion. I have it open here. They conducted this uh, just a few days ago, asking Canadians um, about different restrictions on the unvaccinated. 61% of respondents support having people pay out of pocket for full medical costs if they are admitted to hospital because of COVID-19, uh, mm-hmm. um, 61% monthly healthcare surcharge of up to $150 per month, 37% say uh, refuse to allow them access to any publicly funded hospital, 27% give the thumbs up to having them serve up to five days as part of a jail sentence. I've got to say, no one's floating these ideas. So the pollster clearly just made these no, things up yeah. and then that said, do you <laughs> like it or do you not like it? But it shows that a certain amount of the mob said, we like it. None of that, Anthony, surprises me. People love to hate. I mean, we're feeding into the weakest, darkest, ugliest sides of ourselves. People love to hate. And also, we have had, you know, our leaders have been feeding this to us as well. Right. Uh, none of that surprises me. But, you know, what I would say is, do we want a healthcare system that looks at the patient in front of us, remembering that one day this may be you or me, and makes determinations about whether we think you had too many glasses of wine with dinner last night, uh, we don't like your body weight, uh, right. you, you know, you smoke. Uh, do we really want to, you know, move away from a medical determination of access to care to sort of a social determination of access to care. And I think people would say something quite different, or I don't know if they would, but I think they probably would on that. That's what I worry about. And when I speak of the shift in the social fabric, I, I, I feel our leadership may be really feeding into this kind of thing. Because if we do, you know, if we eat, I think even a vaccination tax is is absolute folly. I, I think it's, it's the beginning of sort of a movement towards making judgments about patients. I also don't think, you know, it, it has to be effective. If you look at the potential vaccination tax of Quebec, you know, Omicron wave is on top of us, if not cresting above us at this point, or just slightly past, it'll be with us for a while. So if people, if you tax them tomorrow and they got vaccinated next week, that's vaccination number one. Vaccination number three is six to nine mm. months away. So, you know, it doesn't even really hold up very well. And vaccination number one would help, but it's, you know, you're really not there yet. So, you know, and I think politically, knowing, you know, the kind of numbers and polls you just rose, wrote off, any wise politician is going, is going to be using this, and they are. Right. Um, and it's not in any of our best interest. I want to get your read on an idea, uh, on a, I guess, a concept or a, or, or a doctrine known as behavioral sciences. I have an Ontario science table uh, paper in front of me right now. It was published April 22nd, 2021. Behavioral Science Principles for Enhancing Adherence to Public Health Measures. And in my sort of layman's take, I'm increasingly seeing the phrase behavioral science to mean the noble lie, to mean a little white lie, to mean sometimes just flat out lying to push people in in one direction or another. 
How do you uh, approach the idea of behavioral sciences and particularly how it's been rolled out throughout COVID? Well, it depends what they mean. And I'm not sure what, can, can we come up with an example of, of how that would play out? I think it means the nudge, right? To yeah. Things more, yeah. I, I mean, the original thing of being told, oh, masks don't work, silly. There's no reason to wear masks. And we go, well, why were they saying that? And then they later fessed up, well, there weren't many of them and we wanted to keep them for healthcare workers. Uh, we didn't want there to be a run on them from the general public. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm an adult. You can tell me that. You don't need to tell me masks somehow don't work. And then suddenly three months later, I find the cops are throwing you out of the store because you're not wearing one in the grocery yeah. store. Yeah, no. And, you know, what I think is that transparency is 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 really an ethical foundation to a, a mature democratic society. And there's no question about that. And I don't think we've had enough transparency with this pandemic. So that includes the behavioral science element. There's something furtive about it, I find. Um, or there can be, maybe not in every example, but we, we really haven't had enough transparency in general. And that includes not just what decisions are made. You see this provincially and you see it federally. Uh, it's not a question of just what decisions are made. It's how did we make this decision? And, you know, so often in ethics, you've got two frickin' awful alternatives. This is the reality, and you see it working in hospitals. Both alternatives are terrible. But ethics is which one are we going to pick and why, right? It, it's not, and we don't see enough of that with our government because they've got lots of awful alternatives. None of them are great, um, but we don't see enough of the balancing. And I, I do think there's been kind of a covert, you know, how do we kind of, you know, manipulate people into things? And I think you, you know, in a lot of ways, a vax tax is, is, is at least a lot more transparent than these other things. Um, yeah, so we'll see. You said something very interesting at the beginning of our conversation, how uh, many other people who are interested in medical ethics, bioethics, haven't really said much the past two years. What's going on there? Yeah. So, you know, there's someone, and the name escapes me right now, but she herself is a bioethicist and um, American at Harvard, and she's writing a book on the failure of bioethics in, in, in the pandemic. Um, I, I think it's so difficult and so politically controversial um, that uh, it's safer for people to not do it. I also think that a lot of bioethicists, and, and my position with the hospitals is different. I'm not a full-time hospital employee. I used to be, but I'm no longer. And I think if I was, I would not be able to speak as freely as I have. And I think that is the reality, is you've really got to be safe in terms of academic freedom. I think bioethicists working in the hospitals would have a very hard time speaking freely um, at this point. But, you know, that's not a good reason. I mean, that means the profession's not in good shape. Right. Um, also, bioethics itself, I think, in recent years has become very procedural hmm. policies, this and that, you know, as opposed to the deeper questions. Um, I think it's become very procedural. And I, I think it's risk. I made a decision early in the pandemic that I wanted to remain independent. I didn't want to go on any government task force or provincial. I wanted to remain independent. I'm thankful now that I did. But also, if I was on any of the government boards, um, they would say I could speak freely, but I'm not sure I really could. Um, and so I think that's part of it. Well, let me ask you about the other part of ethical considerations in terms of physicians potentially being compromised in that we know there's just there's a lot of cross appointments people they do their teaching they do their clinical work and then 
uh, they'll help out this pharmaceutical company or that company with this or that trial. And it's a thing that's been happening for decades and it's usually disclosed. It's supposed to be disclosed, but there's just, there's so many interests going on, so much money flowing around. And, and look, I'm not resenting anyone for getting bonus pay when, when it's totally earned for the stuff they've been doing, but you still look at that whole framework and go, you know, how do I know I'm, I'm getting the hundred percent real story from this person? Well, and you may not be. You may not be. And um, I, I think in the pandemic, we, we've really stopped. And you're right. It has come a long way, by the way. The, the, the hospitals, the research institutes, the rules are a whole lot better and the reporting's a whole lot better than, than some years ago. But it's still it's still very, very problematic. Um, you know, when when we look to a lot of things. I mean, unfortunately, at times we're doing science through press releases. If you look yeah. at the Pfizer medication that was released a week ago, look, I have no reason at all to believe that it is not as effective as people say. It, you know, everything I've seen, it looks like it absolutely is, and it may be a lifesaver. But, you know, please remember, it's coming from Pfizer, right? right? You don't even have an independent study yet. So pre-pandemic, you know, we probably wouldn't have put up with this. And that's one of the things I worry about as well is science through press releases is a very dangerous thing. So are we doing that? And, and I think our kind of, I hate the word, but our, our surveillance of these things um, has really slipped as well during the pandemic. So I turn, I turn my thoughts again to, to sort of an erosion in, in, in kind of the moral fabric, uh, which is potential. Well, speaking of the sort of press release language, we certainly started hearing early on these mantras around, well, we've heard mantras about everything, but around vaccines, safe and effective, safe and effective, take the first one offered to you. The best vaccine is the first one offered to you. And and this was Justin Trudeau was tweeting this out, but also uh, supposedly unaffiliated doctors on television were just, were just saying this. Now I take the point that if you're on a, a four minute television segment, you don't get time to talk at great length about the details of clinical trials, but you saw basically talking points. It seemed like political slogans. And then suddenly you find out that Health Canada says, well, I don't know, people under 30 shouldn't really take Moderna. We're gonna try and make sure they take Pfizer because apparently those talking points weren't you know 100% perfect when they were saying them. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think what's happened with physicians is talking points is what people want. And I, I you know, mm. I, I, I know there's some radicals out there, but what I would say, one of the things that scares me in this pandemic is, is, is if someone did have evidence-based or observational, but, you know, in need of further research, concerns or evidence-based concerns about safety, um, it's very risky, you know, in a lot of ways, there's there's such a force against any kind of questioning of anything that I that does worry me to some extent. I don't think anything's being buried. I've looked at the data a lot of times to the best of my ability, right? right? I'm not an epidemiologist or a virologist, but, you know, I've, I've been in hospitals most of my life. I know how to read medical reports. But, you know, I, I think things are are what people are saying they are. And there's a lot we don't know, but people have said there's a lot we don't know. But we do have a culture that I worry could have elements of intolerance that could catch up with us at some point. That's interesting saying people want the talking points, though. There's that old phrase, you get the democracy you deserve, or you get the government you deserve. Are we here in Canada? And I know we've acknowledged that we've pretty much been one of the most restricted uh, when all is said and done jurisdictions in the world, and in some cases, particularly Ontario, particularly Quebec. Can it be said that we get the lockdowns we deserve? We get the COVID rules we deserve? 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think Canadians are going to put up with a lot of stuff that other cultures may not put up with. Um, you know, the Americans sometimes laugh at us, uh, you know, in terms of what we're willing to put up with. But again, there, there's a different culture with that. Um, I'm surprised people have been as patient as they have been. I mean, I, I'm not saying all the decisions made have been awful. And I do think Omicron's a game changer. We're just not out of it yet to see which way it's going to change. But, you know, I, I, I worry that if we don't sort of loosen up a bit towards the end of the Omicron wave, you know, there may be another wave coming. And it, I, I hate to say this, but we all know it could be worse. And in which case, we really have to have the public on board for further interventions. And so that's why I think the Omicron wave has to be handled judiciously at this point. So I think we put up with a lot as Canadians. But my observation is I see psychologically, I see it in my students, I see it in, in people around me. People are at the end of their rope. People that cope well are, are really, really reaching a wall. Um, you know, the you know i'm in ontario it's the dead well it's the dead of winter throughout the country but i'm in ontario the winter is deepening it's very restrictive in terms of weather there's a lockdown it's awful and this is the third year in i mean how much more can people take how much more can they take professor carrie bowman this has been a fascinating conversation thank you so much for joining us thank you anthony full comment is a post media podcast i'm anthony fury this episode was produced by Andre Pru, with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us by giving us a rating or a review, and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.